Hello, and welcome to another episode of Every Square Inch. I'm your host, Robert Cunningham. Uh, Sorry I had to take last week off, but I was in Belarus speaking at a conference, which was quite the experience. I'm going to do a whole podcast on that trip because it was, man, it was my first real experience with a real uh, communist culture, a culture formed by communism, and it was mind-blowing. But it's actually been two weeks off from our series because you will recall I took a break uh, two weeks ago to discuss the governor's race. And man, talk about feedback. Uh, You talk politics, people talk to you. Uh, But the vast majority of feedback was really encouraging, even from those who are big uh, Bevan supporters. One question that did come up quite a bit was in regards to Trump. Uh, if an ethos of love is so important, as I argued, uh, then explain the Trump phenomenon. And I would say easy. Uh, Trump has captured the love of a forgotten people. I'm not commenting on whether it's authentic or not. But absolutely, that's the key to Trump's success. He has convinced a marginalized demographic that he is their man. He will defend them, fight for them, stand up to the establishment on their behalf. Uh, Trump does not have supporters. Trump has worshipers, uh, people who love him because they are convinced he loves them. Anyway, another, another podcast for another day. Today, Uh, We are going to conclude our series on the internet. We began with the Christian worldview on technology in general and the internet specifically, and then we moved on to the internet's impact on specific areas, our sexuality, our relationships, and now this week, our minds. Now, there seems to be a new study coming out every day about the effects of the screen on our minds and the way we're being reprogrammed accordingly. So I don't think I have to convince us this is an issue, but let's look together at the issue more deeply. There are, of course, many benefits to the information age, but it has changed the nature of information in a significant way. Um, And I'm going to give you four, not Not only am I going to give you four, I'm going to arrange them into an acronym. See, you see, I I know your mind has been so rewired that I've got to do something novel here to keep your attention. So the acronym, fittingly, is MIND. Because of the internet, information is now M, meaningless, I, inexhaustible, N, nonchalant, and D, depersonalized. Let's go through each of those. Information now is meaningless. Now, when I say meaningless, I don't mean to imply that all this information on the internet is itself meaningless. I'm saying that the vast majority of the information is meaningless to you, and that's the key. What has happened is that the internet has opened a world of information to us, but it is a world that encourages a breadth of information without any depth. One author put it like this, once we were scuba divers in sea of words, in a sea of words, now we zip along the surface on jet skis. So what we are seeing is that we know so much about so many things, but how much of that do we need to know? In short, we now know everything, but in reality, we know nothing. 
as, at least as it pertains to substantial meaning. We daily fill our minds with information that has very little meaning to us while at the same time failing to go deep into the information that is meaningful for us. Now, what are the consequences of doing information like this? Well, ironically, the information age has given way to a staggering lack of knowledge. Again, we know everything, yet at the same time, we know nothing, at least knowledge in the classical sense. When I was in seminary, we had an assignment that forced us to go through the rigors of a word study, essentially take one word from the original language and study every time it appears in scripture along with its usage in other contemporary ancient documents to determine exactly what was meant by that word. And the word I chose was knowledge, gnosis in the Greek. And what I discovered is that the Bible speaks of knowledge very differently than us. It is not just data cognitively processed. It it is a deep, intimate apprehension, internalization, and application of something. The, The clearest example is the Hebraic use of the word in the Old Testament. Adam knew Eve. I don't have to tell you that that is much more than a Google search. This this is the essence of true knowledge. This deep, um, intimate um, internalization of truth. And this is what we are losing. There is a reason why we call it browsing. Because that's what we're doing. We're addicted to browsing meaninglessness. Addicted to a breadth of information while malnourished of true knowledge. Therefore, we know so much while truly knowing very little. Okay, next. Not only is it meaningless, it's inexhaustible. The internet has opened to us an inexhaustible world of online information, and we're lost within it. Um, you know how it goes. You, you wake up with great aspirations for your day, and yet those aspirations get hijacked by another day Uh, lost in the never-ending pursuit of information. Uh, Just link after link after link of unproductivity. And you come to the end of the day with this restless sense of uselessness. What did I even do today? Honestly, it's it's a modern form of gluttony. Consume, 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 consume. And every new day brings with it a fresh offering of inexhaustible information for our overconsumption. Now, what are the consequences? So many, uh, too many to name, but let me let me give some examples here. Have you noticed how distracted we've become? Uh, short attention spans, difficult to focus in on one thing in particular. It's because our minds have been trained by our internet usage. We have hypertext minds that just bounce around in every direction rather than normal sequential thought patterns. But the problem is that the real world doesn't function like the internet. And so we have minds conditioned for the online world rather than the real world, and they aren't functioning properly. Katie Couric did a a 60-minute special on Adderall usage on college campuses, and it was interesting because she chose the University of Kentucky as her test case. And what she discovered at UK is alarming. Adderall usage is not the exception, but the overwhelming norm Uh, particularly during finals week, because college students literally cannot study without chemical assistance. Um, How about this one? Have you noticed how difficult it is for us to make and keep commitments? Uh, 
Either we don't want to commit to anything or we are quick to break commitments if a better option emerges. Why is that? Barry Schwartz wrote a book called The Paradox of Choice. It's a business book, but it has implications for what we're talking about. And the premise is simple. Giving the consumer too many choices proves counterproductive. Either it will paralyze decision-making and they will not make a choice, or they will make a choice and immediately have buyer's remorse. And this is what the internet has done to us, created a culture uh, suffering from the paradox of choice. Our minds get trained to the process of endless options, so when it comes down to making real commitments and real decisions, we can't. Because to commit is to limit our options, thus the FOMO, fear of missing out, phenomenon uh, that has arisen. We fear to commit because we fear to miss out. Or we do commit, and the moment a better option is presented, we quickly break our commitment for the next best thing. How about this? Uh, this is the last example. Have you noticed how bored we've become? Just joyless, restless, discontent, even lifeless. Uh, no wonder, no, no amazement, no intrigue, just kind of blah. Even when we do have amazing experiences, it's more important to take a selfie because the thrill of being seen having the experience is more uh, important to us than the actual experience. I suppose that fits my podcast on the internet's impact on relationships. But the point I'm making is is that it's as if we just can't be impressed or excited anymore. And of course we can't. Remember when I was talking about our sexuality and I talked about the rise of sexual impotency and I said that real flesh and blood human beings cannot compete with porn. Well, in the same way, real-world experiences just can't compete with the inexhaustible nature of the internet. I was just watching a video called People Are Awesome, and it was this montage, you've, you've seen these videos, it was this montage of people doing just ridiculous feats. And it was incredible. This one dude was literally jumping off of buildings like Spider-Man. And if I wanted to... I could watch endless videos like that on YouTube all day long. But then what am I to make of the real world? What becomes of the real world when all the greatest exploits from the entire planet are condensed down into a five-minute video for me that I couldn't even get through because that felt too long? I'll tell you what happens. I get really bored with real life. I can carry on with these examples, but you get the point. We cannot expect to have an inexhaustible world open to us and there be no consequences. Next, in nonchalant. The thing about the internet is that it's simultaneously inexhaustible and easily accessible. And because of the accessibility of information, we have become incredibly cavalier with information. Uh, learning has lost its sense of sacredness and is now just a nonchalant affair. Perhaps you've heard the fascinating st statistic that one in three lottery winners end up declaring bankruptcy. And as sociologists have studied this phenomenon, it's clear why it is. They did not labor for their earnings. And because of this, they don't have a true appreciation of it, nor do they know how to steward it well. 
Now, this has similar implications when it comes to the ease of information. The internet has made us all lottery winners of information. The entirety of human discovery accessible to us in an instant. In 1995, uh, just as the internet was coming onto the scene, Newsweek published a very famous, I suppose infamous would be a better word, article that claimed the internet would never work. And the reason was that it was just a disorganized mass of information that was completely inaccessible. But what they didn't foresee is the advent of the search engine. And what Yahoo introduced, Google is now perfecting. And the aim of every new advancement, Siri, Alexa, even even the realm of artificial intelligence algorithms that are constantly getting to know you, The aim of every advancement is intended to make information more easily accessible and perfectly tailored to your specifications. I I currently have my earpods in and I could say, hey Siri, and ask her any question I want. Oh, she's answering me as we speak. (laughs) Now she's repeating. Be quiet, Siri. Let me take these out. Hang on. (laughs) Okay. I, I think we failed to appreciate how utterly revolutionary this is for the human race. No more labor, no more waiting, no more research, whatever I want to know whenever I want to know it. Striving for answers has become obsolete. But do we lose anything when we eliminate the striving? Of course we do. We are lottery winners of information who fail to appreciate information and do not know how to steward it well. Again, when I was in seminary, I remember getting really frustrated in my Greek studies. And the reason I got so frustrated is because it seemed to me to be a pointless exercise. Uh, you, you have to learn the language because you have to do the translating work yourself. But now there's a myriad of programs that would do the translating work for me. And I vividly remember coming to my Greek professor, uh, Dr. Hans Beyer, who's one of my heroes, Um, and saying, why do we have to go through this process when my computer will do it for me? And the ever-wise Dr. Byer said to me, because if you learn the language, you will appreciate the language and you will know how to use the language well. And he's right. It's the difference between you with WebMD and a doctor with an actual MD. Your access to WebMD does not make you a doctor. If anything, it makes you a hypochondriac. (laughs) It's the rigors of medical school, the passing of exams, the practice of a residency. This is what makes a doctor. In order to truly appreciate information and truly steward information well, we have to labor for the information. But it's no longer laborious. It's nonchalant. Okay, information is now meaningless, inexhaustible, nonchalant, and finally depersonalized. Here's where I think things get particularly alarming. If we don't know something, where do we turn? Not to a person, but to a device. And that's fine. You'll get results more efficiently than you would a person. But do you know what Google will never have? The indelible mark of an image bearer of God. We have disconnected information from human beings, and that is a dangerous choice to make. We are now taught trained, mentored, in some cases even parented by screens. And what this means is there is no room for human attributes that we take for granted. 
uh, wisdom, emotions, context, culture, empathy, sensitivity, and so many other things. It's just raw data. But more often than not, our ignorance doesn't need data. It needs a person. It needs data delivered as only a human being can. Again, use the doctor example. So you've been having headaches. You turn to Google. I've been having a lot of headaches. What does that mean? And you get data. Here's what it could mean. Here are the different possibilities. And one of those possibilities is a brain tumor. And you say, oh no, I'm dying. But a person, a human doctor, would instantly be able to filter that data through context and wisdom and experience and intuition and training and all these different things and give you a thoughtful answer, not a depersonalized answer. Now that might seem trivial, but it's a serious thing. Google has become our go-to counselor, advisor, consultant, mentor, and even friend. Where did the depressed and anxious turn with their agonizing symptoms? Where does a woman turn with an unwanted pregnancy? Where do the addicted turn for help? Where do those searching uh, turn for answers to life's biggest questions? The the go-to answer to all of these questions and many more is their phone. And it's just so tragic. Computers do not understand image bearing. They don't get emotions or critical thought or sympathy or wisdom or morality or purpose and all of these things that are supposed to accompany information. You don't need data. You need a human. But it gets even worse. You see, when information is depersonalized, it inevitably becomes personalized. If information is disconnected from a real human being with a different perspective, different culture, different context, different opinions, who challenges my presuppositions, then information becomes personalized. And then at the end of the day, I am my own counsel. And this is what we're seeing. It's naive for us to assume that the online world is a neutral space. It is still directed by worldview. And the worldview that guides it is your own worldview. Information we consume is shaped by algorithms. These algorithms are precise artificial intelligence able to deliver content, both real and fake content, based solely upon you, the consumer. What is fed to you online believes what you believe, loves what you love, hates what you hate, fears what you fear, and never ever disagrees with you. So simply put, it is now possible, dare I say probable, to exist within the confines of your own personal echo chamber. But this is not how we were intended to live. We're not God. God alone is his own counsel. We are finite, fallen creatures in desperate need of a challenge, of correction, or even confrontation. And you take that away from us, And we will inevitably gravitate toward uh, militant tribalism. It's cult-like is what it is. Cults are formed by an inculcation of information and an exclusion of outside information. And in this way, the cult's worldview is canonized as exclusively true and other worldviews are demonized as exclusively false. And this is what our world has become. We are all members of worldview cults formed by online information tailored to our own specification. So 
M, meaningless. I, inexhaustible. N, nonchalant. D, depersonalized. And the result is a radical change, a new frontier for the human mind. And speaking candidly, it's an alarming frontier. What can we do? I don't have much time here, but honestly, I don't need much time because the solutions are as simple as they are obvious. First, I'll say what I have said every week on this topic. There there does need to be a restraining of our online consumption, convictions that place limits on our um, internet usage. But proactively, what can we do? I'm going to give us three simple Uh, historically tested, tried and true, healthy things to do for your mind. The first is books. Books, 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 and more books. Now, more than ever, you need to be a reader. Each of those four consequences on the mind are naturally undone by reading books. It's not meaningless information. It's carefully selected depth of information. It's not inexhaustible. It has a beginning and an end. It's not nonchalant. It's arduous and focused. And it's not depersonalized algorithms. It's personal knowledge skillfully delivered by an author, by a real person. So if we're going to be online, and and, and we all are, that, that is the way of the world, and, and so it is reality. So if we're going to be online, then we also need to be in a book. Now, I know that... To our internet uh, minds, perhaps even reading a book may seem overwhelming. But listen, it's not. I'll give you a practical goal. 10 pages a day. That's it. 10 pages a day and you will, you will read approximately 30 books a year. You can do this. Read books. All right, second thing you need to do is find a mentor. You need to sit at the feet of a real person and learn from them. For Christians, we call this discipleship. I haven't done everything right in my life, but one thing I have always done is seek out and receive the discipleship of those more wise, more experienced, more knowledgeable than I. Every step of the way, including to this very day, I have had mentors in my life, and I believe with all my heart that that, more than anything else, is what God has used to shape me. Don't be mentored by Google. Be mentored by a human. So read books, find a mentor, and then finally, befriend people who disagree with you. In this age of algorithm information, we have to step outside our tribe and allow our worldview to be challenged. So find a friend that sees things differently than you, and then dialogue, disagree, debate. Let your mind be forged by the exchanging of ideas. Read books, get a mentor, and befriend someone who disagrees with you. You do those three things, and I promise it will combat the internet's destructive power upon our minds. Thanks so much for listening, not just uh, to this, but to um, the entire internet series. Um, I know these episodes have gone a little bit longer than the others, but um, they're just so important, uh, such an important topic. Uh, May all of you have a blessed Thanksgiving, and we will see you back next week for another episode of Every Square Inch. Every Square Inch.